This podcast is brought to you by the American Enterprise Institute. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, review, and share. Thanks for listening. Here's our show. What in the hell's going on? What the hell is going on? What the hell is going on? I don't know what the hell he's talking about. You don't have to know what the hell is on it. What the hell's the matter with these guys? We don't know what's going on. What the hell's going on? Who in God's name knows what it's all about? And I'm Mark Thiessen. Welcome to our podcast, What the Hell is Going On? Mark, what the hell is actually going on now? Well, what's going on, Danny, is we all know that public support for the media or trust in the media has collapsed in recent years, but we didn't know how far it had fallen until the new Gallup survey of U.S. trust in institutions came out recently. And it shows that newspapers and TV news have hit a new low. Newspapers have the trust of just 15% of the American people. That's down from 21% the year before. TV news, 11% of the American people, second only to Congress in how much people distrust them. Um, (laughs) And they are only four points away from tying Congress as the least trusted institution in the entire United States of America, Danny. You know, this is a tragedy for American democracy. We need a credible, objective news media that is trusted broadly by people of all political stripes. And we don't have it anymore. It's gone. It's actually funny what you say, uh, because, well, funny is the wrong word, but last week we saw Prince Harry, who, I don't know about you, Mark, but when I think about what I want to think about American democracy and the American way of life, I turn to the British royal family. And <laughs> anyway, anyway that, that poor, sorry moron, Prince Harry, went on and on uh, at the United Nations about the American democracy deficit. And actually, what we haven't talked about enough is the fact that our democracy is much less in danger from the moronic people with, you know, with with Viking horns on their heads, and much more in danger from our truly unrepresentative press corps. The fact that we don't really have what we would talk about as a free media. Well, I'm glad you brought up the Viking hats because we've got the January 6th committee going on right now. And, you know, when I look at January 6th, what I see is that the good news is that all of our institutions held, the state election officials, including a lot of Republicans who supported Donald Trump, did the right thing. The governors and the state legislators, the, the Brian Kemp's of the world, but not just not the not just them, but like, you know, the Michigan state legislators that came to visit with Donald Trump when he was pressuring them. They refused his demands to appoint new electors. The courts, including Trump appointed judges, not a single one voted to uphold or, or ruled to uphold Trump's legal challenges. Mike Pence did the right thing. Congress ultimately came back and certified the election. The one institution that failed us in this entire thing and is getting off scot-free is the media. Because why is it that so many millions and millions of Americans and, and uh, millions of Republican voters believe Donald Trump when he said the election was stolen? Because we no longer have an objective news media that can separate fact from fiction anymore, or that is trusted to do so. And so after 
plowing the steel dossier and Russia Gate and and poo-pooing the lab leak and I mean the litany of fake news and I'd use that term intentionally that we've suffered. It's like the boy who cried wolf when the media finally came and said, No, no, actually there's no evidence that the election was stolen. Most people said, Yeah, I don't believe you. I'm I'm sorry, you know, I'm hesitating, Mark, because when was the last time you read a really robust discussion about this? About what a society is like without a trusted media, what a society is like where people can't believe in the information they receive. You know, we bemoan this all the time. You know, we talk about the fact that we don't we don't look to the same sources, that we curate our own news. But the reality is that when the vast mass of our country, Republicans and Democrats, don't trust the media, what does that say about us? What does that say about our system? Let me give you a few more stats that are fascinating. So Gallup poll last year found that just 7% of U.S. adults have a great deal of trust in the media, while 63% have not very much or none at all. January 2021, an Edelman poll, which was at the very moment that we needed trusted media out there, 59% of Americans said they believe, this is a quote from the poll, journalists and reporters are purposely trying to mislead people by saying things they know are false or gross exaggerations. And 59% said, quote, most news organizations are more concerned with supporting an ideology or political position than with informing the public, unquote. Now, that's more pronounced among Republicans than it is among Democrats. But even the Democrats, I don't think you have majority support or trust in in the media. And it's, as you say, that's the biggest threat to our democracy today. Quite honestly, I was very involved with the freedom movements in Eastern Europe, and I went to I went to Poland to write on the uh, liberation of Poland in the 1980s from Soviet domination. And when you go to all these countries in Eastern Europe where there was a state media that was lying to the people, everybody formed an underground. There was a, they formed an underground media. There were underground newspapers that printed the truth and disseminated it. People were craving the truth. People were craving facts in a society that was bereft of it. We're now in a situation where I think, quite frankly, a lot of people just absolutely have lost as much trust in the media as people behind the Iron Curtain did, you know, decades earlier. That's really depressing. And we say this knowing that there are really great reporters out there. There are good journalists. There still are yes. very good journalists at institutions that, that many people don't believe in. You know, the New York Times and... Yeah, we've had them on here. CNN and elsewhere. And the reality, of course, is that it's not the great reporters that are at the heart of the problem. It's the institution. It's the editorial position. It's, you know, it's the boss at the top that often is advocating for a particular message because it sells. And one of the things that we talk about with our guest today, and I'm about to introduce him, but one of the things that we talk about with our guest today is the really kind of anomalous idea that the people who brought you the great star of 2015, who went on to win the election, were cable news networks who did their absolute utmost to promote Donald Trump. Not, by the way, because they evilly thought that he was the person most likely to be defeated by Hillary Clinton, but because he sold news. And if you look at how their market share has dropped, if you look at the collapse in ratings for 
absolutely all the networks. Fox, least of all. Fox is doing but great. for CNN and for MSNBC, since the end of the Trump administration, it tells you a lot about what their incentives are. I don't want to sound conspiratorial, but it tells you a lot about that. I think it was both things. I think it was that they thought he was the one least likely to win and also he promoted ratings. And I don't think it's a directive on high from the editors so much. I think I think two things are happening. So there's always been bias in the media. I was actually going through some in preparation for this, going through uh, some stories. And I found that our old boss, Senator Jesse Helms, at one point did like a campaign to get Americans to buy shares of CBS News so that we could be Dan Rather's boss. <laughs> and, and tell him to stop lying to the American people. There's always been bias in the media, but there's a few things that have changed. One is there's always been bias in the media because the media has always been dominated by people who have a left or center point of view. I think one, the left has gone farther left in the intervening years than it was there. So having a left of center view today is something different than it was in the 1980s when Ronald Reagan was president. And so the media viewpoint has moved left. Two, I think that the idea that among younger uh, reporters that journalism is not, your goal is not to put aside your views and tell the facts as they see it and present both sides of the argument. The job is to be an advocate for what they consider truth. You know, we got to spread truth and, and combat lies. And so if you're combating lies, then you don't have to present both sides of the story. That's one of the most shocking things that I saw that there's this Pew Research poll that 55% of journalists say every side does not deserve equal coverage in the news today. And interestingly, among right-leaning news organizations, 57% think that it's important to present both sides, but left-leaning news organizations, only 30% think it's equal coverage is important. So we've even lost the idea that we should be having equal coverage for both sides and presenting it objectively so that you know we people can make their own decisions based on the facts. So you and I have, per usual, managed to rant a great deal up front, but we have a guest who actually wrote a book about this. And I think his title says it all. And I think there's one word that we perhaps didn't talk about enough, which is snobbery, the sense that there are some people in America who are better than others, uh, because I think that's one thing people don't get over is the sense that the news media has contempt for them. But Ari Fleischer, you and I both know him. He was the White House press secretary to George W. Bush. He has been a media commentator for many years. He's a Fox News commentator, and he has a new book out titled Suppression, Deception, Snobbery, and Bias, Why the Press Gets So Much Wrong and Just Doesn't Care. Here's our interview. Well, Ari, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, guys. So great to have you on. So you've written this fantastic new book about media bias. We're all aware of it in the conservative ecosystem because we see it every day, but you actually dug down and researched this. What are the best examples, the, the most egregious stories you found in your research? Well, my book actually begins with a CNN episode where Don Lemon has two guests on to talk about Donald Trump, which means they're talking about how bad he is. But this time, they went beyond Trump and talked about how bad people are who support Donald Trump. They literally mocked half the country. His two guests started to put on fake Southern accents and pretend they were Trump supporters. And they just oozed this 
disdain. They look down their nose, the snobbery about Trump supporters. And Don Lemon lost it. He just starts laughing uproariously. He actually has tears in his eyes. And at the end of some 30 seconds of just look down your nose, disdain for Trump people, Don Lemon sits up and says, thanks, I needed that. So knows deep in his heart that Donald Trump couldn't find Ukraine on a map if you had the letter U and a picture of an actual physical crane next to it. He knows that this is, you know, an, an administration defined by ignorance of the world. And so that's partly him playing to their base and playing to their audience. Uh, you know, the, the, the credulous boomer rube demo that backs Donald Trump um, that, that wants to think that, that, that Donald Trump's a smart one. And they're oh, y'all, y'all, y'all elitists are them. You, you elitists with your geography and your maps and your spelling. Even though my path and you're reading. Yeah, you're reading, you know, your geography, knowing other countries, sipping your latte. All those lines on the map. <laughs> Only them elitists know where Ukraine is. Sorry. That was good. Sorry. Great. Yep. That was a good one. I needed that. Okay, so listen. You can hear listening to this what's gone wrong with the mainstream media, how journalism thinks it's its job to laugh at, make fun of half the country and call it journalism is beyond me. But what's happened is journalists have turned into activists. It is so beyond the old liberal conservative bias. They have now gotten permission from their editors, top bosses to become activists for a cause. And it was the get Trump, anti-Trump, anti-populist cause and that's why I wrote the book. The, the journalism needs to have a reckoning. And this book is a reckoning they won't do for themselves. So, all right, first of all, terrific book and really incredibly timely. There are so many questions I want to ask, but one of the sort of 30,000 foot ones is what went wrong? You know, Mark likes to make fun of me as an old person, although Mark is creeping up there as well. <laughs> and when we were kids, maybe even the same for you, Ari, what we did every single night was we watched the news. We all got together. We had dinner. Then we went, we watched the news. And I don't remember, I remember Peter Jennings was kind of bad, especially in the latter days, but I don't remember feeling like these people were out to get you. Well, no, not <laughs> even me. I didn't have the feeling they were zealots. Mm. And that's the way I feel now. What happened in the interim? What's happened over the last 50, 60 years? Great question. Two things happened. One is technological. The internet got invented. And the second was Donald Trump got elected. And the press thought it had to fix what the American people did by electing Donald Trump. So start with the internet. You know, back when Ronald Reagan was president, most Americans got their news from CBS, ABC, and NBC. Some 50, 55 million people watched those three network shows. And now it's down to about 20 million watching those shows. As Fox News got born and people could go to conservative media and people's just interest in the Internet, where you have so many different options, grew more diffuse. Then came social media. Social media started to license reporters to give their opinions, where, where in the past we all knew the press was liberal, but they knew their job was to be objective. They said their job was to be fair. Well, as soon as you could start tweeting things and letting your opinion rip, and get more followers and get praised by Hollywood. It really became a tendency for many mainstream reporters to say that that was their psychic income. 
they enjoyed that side of quote unquote journalism more than they enjoyed being objective or neutral. So they let it rip. And at CNN, with the permission of the top bosses to really give their opinions. Then along came Trump. And when Trump won in 2016, many mainstream reporters decided that it was their job to save the republic from the bad decision that the people had made. And so they went after Donald Trump. They started to put on the air information that never should have been put on the air, information that was unsubstantiated, unverified, such as the Steele dossier, such as going to great lengths to promote every theory about collusion, no matter how wrong it was, no matter how soon they had to retract it. It didn't stop them from learning and doing it again and again and again. So it was those two combinations that led them from going, becoming, going from liberal to going activist. And then there's one more element to it, which is a cultural element, and it's a deeper element. There's a 2018 study that I cite in my book from Pew showing the only group of Americans who say that the press understands them are college-educated Democrats. So what you have is a group of college-educated Democrat voters, the mainstream media, telling stories and reporting news only for fellow college-educated Democrats. If you're an independent, you, no matter whether you have a high school degree or college, you say the press doesn't understand you. If you're a Democrat with a high school degree only, you say the press doesn't understand you. Republicans, of course, have been saying it for decades. The press has driven itself into a very narrow ideological cul-de-sac where they can now only relate to fellow college-educated Democrats. It's terrible for democracy. So one study that this Pew study came out that showed that there's a dramatic decline in the number of journalists who believe that they have a responsibility for telling both sides of the story, right? So 55% of journalists say, that every side doesn't always deserve equal coverage, only 22% overall of Americans say the same. And it's even more pronounced with journalists with left-leaning audience, where only 30% support equal coverage for the media. What's, what's happening with, with this idea that the, even the, they've dropped even the pretense in so many institutions of being objective, of sharing both sides? Why, why, yeah. How has that happened? That Pew poll came out just, just the other day or just last week, I guess. And it also showed, Mark, that if you work for a media outlet whose audience is primarily liberal, by two to one, you don't think you need to tell both sides. If you work for a media outlet whose audience is primarily conservative, you think 60-40, you do have an obligation to tell both sides. I mean, what, what's happened is there's a younger generation of journalists, you see it at the New York Times particularly, who think their job is to be subjective. They don't believe in objectivity. They don't believe in two sides. They believe that their side, particularly on social issues and, and, and on racial matters, their side is the only right side. And this is why when Senator Tom Cotton, a Republican from Arkansas, wrote an op-ed in the New York Times in the middle of the riots during the summer of 2020, and the headline was, send in the troops, as there were arsonists, as there were looters, as cities were burning, there was a meltdown in the New York Times newsroom. They had to retract the op-ed. They stopped it from being printed in the print edition. The newsroom was ablaze. Reporters were writing that they were in danger. They weren't in any danger. They sit in cubicles in Brooklyn. Yet they felt that they were in danger. Why the people who were in danger were the victims of the riots. Yet this is what young journalists are doing to the industry. And I've talked to a number of older journalists who really lament this. They were trained that it should be objective and they don't know what to make of this 
this rebellion inside newsrooms where the point of view moving the needle is more important than letting readers and viewers decide. So I, first of all, I think both Mark and I probably would agree with you. There are plenty of reporters for whom we have really a lot of respect at, you know, the New York Times at the Washington Post where Mark is a columnist, but they have to, you know, they have to remain silent. One of the things you focus in on in the book is what happened to CNN. You know, CNN is what comes along for almost everybody in America who has basic cable. You don't get Fox News. You don't get MSNBC. You certainly don't get ESPN, but you get CNN. It's like, uh, you know, it's like the news for every man. But it has drifted and then raced to the left. And the funny thing to me is what you describe with Don Lemon is, is typical. But the funny thing to me is I think CNN had a big role in helping elect Donald Trump. Help us understand the difference between their self-serving and their self-hatred. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for all that reach that CNN has, it also has very few viewers. Um, people are voting with their clicker. Um, but they get but they get the money that but you know their secret, right? They yeah, get they the get the money, money whether as a people watch of, anyway. Right, cable carry. Um, you know, I think what happened to CNN was under Jeff Zucker, the former man who ran CNN, they thought when Trump was running in 2016 that the more they showed Donald Trump, the less people would vote for Donald Trump. I think that's part of the groupthink in a newsroom. When you're that democratic, when you're that liberal, when everybody in the newsroom thinks alike, looks alike, tweets alike, you think the more this guy talks Trump, the more everybody's going to vote against him. Remember, in 2016, most reporters told readers and viewers that Donald Trump was going to lose in a landslide to Hillary. So I don't think they put Trump on the air to help him. I think they put Trump on the air to hurt him. And then they were absolutely shocked because they're so out of touch with America that people actually responded to Donald Trump and voted for him. They were, they were gobsmacked. They couldn't believe it. So then what happened was after making the mistake of helping Donald Trump in reality to get elected president, they realized they didn't need to go in a different direction and fix what they did wrong. And that's why Jeff Zucker allowed CNN reporters to just let their opinions rip. I mean, Jim Acosta, a White House reporter in the White House briefing room, giving his opinion, that was unheard of when I was there, other than for Helen Thomas, who was a columnist. And Jim Acosta went way beyond Helen Thomas. And John Helen Harwood. Thomas was a horrible old bat. So <laughs> well, I don't know what that makes Jim Acosta then. Makes him a horrible younger batter. Uh, yes. Um, but John Harwood was even worse than Jim Acosta. John Harwood was CNN's White House correspondent, still is. And he wrote love letters in his tweets to Joe Biden. He regularly, derisively talked about Republicans on Capitol Hill, let alone Donald Trump. It was not down the road, objective reporting. It was licensed opinion giving from the far left. He sounded like the spokesman for the Democratic National Committee, and he regularly got on the air to have that platform. So it was, and you see it on the anchors at CNN. Jeff Zucker wanted it to happen. Now, I'm fascinated now that Zucker has been fired to see what his replacements do. Are they capable? Do they want to really return CNN to objectivity and neutrality? I hope so, but it remains to be seen. Tell us about the uh, research you did on the political bias in the White House press room. <laughs> well, I decided to hire an opposition researcher to pull the public registration records 
of the White House press corps, the 49 reporters who sit in those 49 seats and see how many are Democrats, how many are Republicans. By a, a ratio of 12 to one, the White House press corps, Democrat to Republican. Now, why isn't it one to one? Why isn't it even? Or what, can you imagine what the news would look like if it was 12 to one Republican to Democrat? Can you imagine the pummeling Joe Biden would be getting from the press corps? Can you imagine how the news we're told would be differently different? Can you imagine how much more focus there would be on what's happening at the southern border? 12 to 1, Democrat to Republican. Now, most reporters are independents in the briefing room, but I consider that window dressing. Many of them change their party to independent once they get a job in mainstream media outlet. So, you know, it reminds me, Mark, Danny, I, I went to Columbia Journalism School twice at their invitation to address classes, once in 1998 after the Dole Clinton race of 96, and once in 2020, right before COVID. And both times I asked a group of reporters, future reporters, how many of you voted for the Republican in the previous presidential? How many for the Democrat? 24 to nothing for the Democrat. Not a single Republican vote. This is the problem. My first chapter is called Original Sin. And it just shows how the people who go into journalism are overwhelmingly college-educated Democratic voters. They think alike, they act alike, and especially, again, on social issues, on issues pertaining to race, they have a point of view. And no two years of journalism school or one year of journalism school is going to shake it out of them and make, it, make them neutral. So, you know, we talk a lot about the most egregious cases, the Jim Acostas of the world, the Don Lemons and all the rest of that. But, you know, there, there's this, a lot of reporters try to be objective or think they're be trying to be objective out there, right? Do some of these reporters even recognize their own bias? Like when we talk about race, you talk about something called implicit bias, that people are, people are biased or racist, even though they don't realize they are. Do you think there's an anti-conservative implicit bias in the media where even the journalists who, are tr who think they're being objective really don't recognize that they aren't? Yeah, I, I think there's such a terrible disconnect. They read the polls. They know how overwhelmingly the American people think that they're biased and overwhelmingly the American people think they don't tell the news fully, accurately, or fairly. But their reaction is that this means there's something wrong with our consumers, not that there's something wrong with us. And this is one reason that the mainstream media is in decline. You know, any corporation, any business that is losing customers and sees the, pub, the public perception of their company is so bad, would say, what's wrong with us? What do we need to change? But reporters just dig in deeper and say there's something wrong with our consumers or the well has been poisoned by conservatives or Fox News is pulling the wool over people's eyes and that's the problem. No, they're in denial and they're in decline. Conservative media is booming. The mainstream media is not. So you set me up perfectly. I want to talk to you about Fox News. One of the excuses for a lot of media letting loose is the existence of Fox News. Okay, This is a, uh, let's say that they believe it is an unabashedly conservative, unabashedly Republican boosting network. I think there are two Fox News is, is you know, my opinion. There's an editorial Fox News and there's a news Fox News. But and I, ha I have two questions, Mark, here, by the way. What do you think about the existence of Fox News and that excuse that, that you hear from the mainstream media? Yeah, I think you nailed it on Fox News. If you look at their nighttime shows, Sean Hannity, Laura Ingram, Tucker, uh, to a lesser degree, but Tucker, 
and they make no excuses. They they state that they're partisan and, and then their opinion shows at night. But I'll take Fox's daytime shows and daytime reporters and daytime anchors over CNN's and MSNBC's any day for fairness and neutrality. I think the best show on news is Brett Baer's show at six o'clock at night is the most fair, objective, interesting, hour-long show. And and you know, in my CNN chapter, I cite verse after verse from the CNN anchors and CNN daytime reporters, including their business reporters, who gave anti-Trump, anti-Republican opinions on the air. I'm not talking about they quoted Democrats more than they quoted Republicans, which they often do. The reporters let it rip, giving their opinions. You don't really see that from Fox reporters. You don't see that from Pete Ducey at the White House. Pete Ducey asks hard questions, but then he goes on the air and plays it straight down the middle and says what critics say, says what the White House says, the old-fashioned way that journalism used to be. So that is just an excuse by people who can't stand Fox. And let me put it this way to you. If on a scale of one to 10, one is super conservative and 10 is super liberal, and you sit at eight and you think you're an objective, neutral reporter, when you look over your right shoulder, there's a lot of distance between you and the super conservatives. When you look over your left shoulder, there's really not much distance between you and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. So you think that since you're quote unquote objective, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is probably not too far off the main beaten track, but these Republicans, these conservatives, they're loonies. That's the problem with the media. Okay, I hear what you're saying. And knowing me, you know, I, I agree with you. And I, I'm a huge fan of Brett Baer. I think he's, you know, the kind of reporter that we all you know, miss seeing in the news these days. Let's talk about not the reporter. And Mark has a contract with Fox News, so uh, I'm not going to so get him I. in trouble here. And so, and so do you. Okay, fine. Do we see the equivalence between the kind of insanity we see on MSNBC? You know, Trump is a Russian plant. George W. Bush plotted the Iraq war to kill people. Uh, that sort of thing with the kind of accusation that we've heard, unfortunately, not just from Tucker Carlson, but from others about January 6th being a false flag operation. How do we come down on this kind of thing? Yeah, you know, one of my chapters is called Suppression and what you weren't told, what the media didn't tell you. So I've been very critical of President Trump and his statements about the election being stolen. I said on Fox News Live that, uh, the day the election was determined, the Saturday after the Tuesday election, I said, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an American before I'm a Republican. Congratulations to President-elect Joe Biden. And nothing has changed for me when it comes to that. We agree with you wholeheartedly on that one. But the mainstream media would be so much more credible if they were fair. Yes, they've criticized President Trump on that the same way I have. But did they criticize Stacey Abrams for her refusal to concede the 2018 governor election in Georgia, in which she lost by four times the margin that Donald Trump lost Georgia. Have they criticized Senator Cory Booker, a New Jersey Democrat, who said the race was stolen? Have they criticized Senator Sherrod Brown, a Democrat from Ohio, who said the race was stolen? No. Did they criticize Hillary Clinton when she, in 2018, said that Donald Trump was an illegitimate president, or when Jimmy Carter said that Donald Trump was an illegitimate president, or when Terry McAuliffe, the former chairman of the Democratic National Committee, said that George Bush stole the 2000 election from Al Gore? No, 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 no. They only do it on one side. 
I'm more fair than the mainstream media. I try to call the balls and strikes as I see them and have principles that apply to both. The mainstream media has given up that ghost. They suppressed that news. They suppressed what Cory Booker said and what uh, Sherrod Brown said. And to this day, they still won't criticize them. So it's unbalanced. And frankly, this is why I conclude in my book that the mainstream media is one of America's biggest problems. Because if you're a far-right activist and you see the far left can say they, their election was stolen and not get criticized for it, you start to say, well, if they don't get criticized, if there's nothing wrong with they doing it, I'm going to do the same. So you start to do it. And then you get criticized by the press for saying the same things. You start to reach the conclusion that the system isn't fair. And that's dangerous. We don't want an America that says that the press cannot be trusted, that the press's word is a lie. This is not good for the health of our country. And that's why I wrote the book. I want the press to be better. I want them to be fair. I want them to be neutral. I want them to go back to being objective. We all need that. I would go a step further, Laurie, and say that they share responsibility for January 6th because of this bias. I mean, you know, I did the same thing you did when Joe Biden was elected. I wrote a column in the Washington Post saying Joe Biden is my president. Um, But what happened on January 6th was, you know, there's the old expression, right? You can have your own opinion, but you can't have your own facts. Today, we can't even agree on facts. Right. So the election comes around and Donald Trump says the election was stolen and there's no evidence of that. And millions and millions of Republicans believe him. And at the very moment when we needed a neutral arbiter of truth, an objective media that could separate fact from fiction, there was no neutral arbiter that anyone trusted. Why? Because they pushed the Steele dossier. They pushed Russiagate. They suppressed the Hunter Biden uh, laptop. They poo-pooed the, uh, the lab leak theory. There were just so millions of Republicans just didn't believe them when they said Trump was wrong. I mean, how, in fact, it's like the media is the only institution that didn't hold in January 6th. Every yeah, other institution it, in the country held. The, how can we get to a point where we as a country can agree on a set of facts as opposed to everyone has their opinion, but here are facts that we can all agree on that we, that we can't seem to be get to today. Look, here's the solution that I advocate in my book. Journalism schools need to really start to figure out how to welcome in conservatives to journalism and conservatives need to want to go into journalism. You need newsrooms with diversity of thought. Newsrooms today treasure diversity of gender, diversity of sexual orientation, diversity of race. But the most powerful diversity of all is diversity of the mind, diversity of thought. They need to get people in there who have weapons in their homes, who carry guns, whose grandfather taught them to hunt at a young age, people who pray every day, people who think intellectually, legitimately, morally, that life begins at conception. Can you imagine what a a, a booster shot of independent thought would do for the credibility of newsrooms. It would have protected CNN from putting so many wrong stories on the air if people inside the newsroom said, oh, wait a minute, before we air that, shouldn't we check it? Isn't there a little more due diligence we need to do? I know it's anti-Trump, but let's check it first. And to your point, Mark, if journalists condemned everybody who talked about stolen elections, absent proof and evidence, the press might have more credibility. But when they let Democrats get away with it and then hammer Republicans, of course Republicans are going to say, you people are in the tank. Why should I listen to you? Journalism needs to change who journalists are. 
you know, there's, there's this movie going around called what is a woman? Well, I like to ask the question, what is a journalist? <laughs> and if the answer is almost always a college educated Democrat, journalism will never get fixed. Well, Ari, we can't agree on what a woman is. So I guess we'll never agree on what a journalist is. <laughs> so let me ask you, I'm really fascinated by your effort to look for solutions, because I think this is the hardest challenge to sit down and look at the problem that we face is something that I think you see, you experience probably more than most people. But the hard question is, you know, how do we figure this out? And, you know, if you remember, we all used to have common terms of reference, right? We all got either the Washington Post or the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or that in our local paper. I got the execrable Boston Globe, which was a piece of crap even back then when I was a kid. And so, you know, yes, we would get the reporting. Maybe it wasn't great. But at the end of the day, we were all referring to the same piece of paper. Now, of course, we curate our information because so many people don't trust the news. The vast middle of the country, conservatives, but I'd say just a lot of people don't trust what they read, don't trust what they hear. And they're able because of the internet, as you rightly said, to to get there. How do we fix that? Yeah, and this is why I made the comment earlier that's the internet that started a lot of this because it allowed us to curate our own news. And as soon as advertisers stopped advertising, wanted to have mass appeal, a lot of organizations just turned to their subscribers for revenue and they don't want to tick off their subscribers. So the news started to fit niches as opposed to the broad country. But I think there's a pendulum that swings. And I think that people are yearning to hear the news fairly, objectively, neutrally, and then reach their conclusions. I think people are tired of being told what their conclusions should be. And this is why this experiment at CNN is fascinating to me. Can they actually return to objectivity? Will they have viewers if they do it? Or do we really want to just watch news that makes us feel comfortable? But I do think there's a pendulum and a cycle to everything. And people ask me all the time, where can I go to get news that's fair and objective? I I think there would be a market for it if somebody could do it. Uh, What do you say when they ask you that? I tell them to watch Brett Baer's show, frankly. I, I tell them that I and, think that is the most fair and objective show on, on the and news. And Martha McCallum and Bill Hemmer and Dana and Sandra Smith and John Roberts. You know, the news side of Fox is just the most, it's the only source of straight down the line news I can, fi- I can find anymore. I think that's totally right, Mark. And, and I do tell people that too. And people lose that distinction because they just throw Fox in as conservatives. But well, the Fox Washington Post, we've got, we've got the news by- side of Washington we got the news side of the Washington Post and the opinion side of the Washington Post. It's the same thing at Fox. We've got the news side and then you've got the opinion side. It's, That's it's, correct. And the same thing it's, at it's, the Wall Street Journal. It's the, it's the blending of those at, at places like MSNBC and CNN's the problem, isn't it? Exactly. exactly. Only one side does it that way. And, the other, and it's just like that pupil that showed that if you work for a outlet whose audience is liberal, two to one, don't tell both sides of a story. Versus if your outlet has conservative readers or viewers, tell both sides of a story. Conservatives want to hear both sides. Liberals don't. 
here's a broader problem, and it's not just the media. I think it's it's this stovepiping of America. We're living in two different countries now. I mean, you're seeing conservatives are fleeing blue states like California, New York, or Texas and Florida and Idaho, and and so we're living apart increasingly. And we're getting now we're getting our information from other sources. Where if you're a conservative, many conservatives you know only get their news from conservative sources, and if you're a liberal, you're getting your news from different sources and they're it's not even the bias they're covering different things like you know if you're a liberal living in you know new york and not listening to any conservative news sources you might not know that we have the worst border crisis in american history and that it's a problem you know if you were a liberal in 2016 and you got your news from cnn or msnbc or the new york times you were certain when you went to bed or when you woke up on election day that hillary was going to win you were certain. And then when you go to bed and you find out she didn't, you think there's got to be a reason. Everybody I know, everybody told me she'd win. So what happened? It couldn't be the people. Voila, collusion. And then the more CNN and MSNBC and the New York Times piled on about collusion, the more liberals thought, you see, I was right. I knew Hillary was going to win. Trump stole it because he was working with Putin. And this leads to damage to our country. So I make the case in the book that conservatives have known for decades that the press is biased. We get it. We have to work twice as hard to deal with it. But liberals in many ways are hurt the most by liberal bias because they're taught a world that's warped and they think it's true. One of the things I think we should do, Mark, because we're at a think tank in Washington, is spend a little more time pulling together journalists, you know, journalists who have differing perspectives, because I think that it is when people talk to each other, that they are actually forced to admit that the other side isn't insane, that the other side isn't (laughs) evil. Well, it's true, Ari. And I think what you're saying, I think what you're saying is so important, because, you know, the reality is, there are just so many people that we all disagree with, whether it's on the right and the left, but we respect them. And it's that respect that is the fundamental loss. I mean, you know, and I think what you're talking about and some of the recipes that you're talking about are the way to get to regain some of that respect. I think that's how we reunite. That's how we end up having more common ground as a country. I'm so grateful that you were willing to write this because I think, you know, it wasn't a hard topic, but I think it's hard for some people to accept that what you're saying is true. Well, it's, I think it's very hard for the mainstream media to accept it's true. And as, as evidence of how polarized we are and balkanized in reporting, nobody in the mainstream media has even covered the book. They won't acknowledge it exists, which is the case for many conservative point of view books. But let me, let me give you my favorite example from the book about how the media gets things wrong and why it's so cultural. On the Saturday after the election, when the networks declared Joe Biden the winner and Fox News declared Joe Biden the winner, church bells went off in Paris. Fireworks went off in London. ABC, NBC, and CNN all reported live on the air that this was part of the international celebration of Joe Biden's victory, celebrating Donald Trump's defeat, people around the world, because that's how they thought of it. When you were in a newsroom and everybody you know is celebrating Donald Trump's defeat, and then you see fireworks or hear church bells, you think, aha, the world thinks just like we do. Well, you know what? It was the weekly call to mass in Paris. It happens every Saturday night. And the fireworks in London 
was a commemoration of a 500-year-old holiday called Guy Fawkes Day, Bonfire Night, celebrating the failed assassination attempt on King James in 1605. Nothing to do with America's election. Amazing. When your mindset is the world celebrating, you shoehorn events into it. And then because you're a reporter, you have the power to go on the air and just tell people that. Well, they were all wrong. And did they retract it? Nope. As people started to point it out, I mean, ABC News became a laughingstock in England over their reporting. They just quietly stopped talking about it and didn't apologize, didn't explain. So get the reporters who aired those stories on your show and have them explain what they were possibly thinking. Is there, are there any news sources outside of the conservative news ecosystem that you, uh, that you think are still doing it right? Where, where do you go to get like your, your non-crazy liberal news? <laughs> well, I work very hard to read a lot of things left, right, and center. It's, it's how I begin my day. And I enjoy it. But boy, do I work and put in a lot of hours doing it. Um, there are a couple of things out there. Apple has this new news email that goes out that ostensibly and it's pretty good. It's pretty neutral, just a telling of the stories, links to different sites. Uh, there's another one, I believe it's called 1440 that I get every morning, which, again, is pretty neutral, just a link to several sites. Promise I, I follow so much that I've kind of heard all that news before I get my morning email. But people are trying. There are independent new places coming up that try to tell the news straight like that. But it used to be, well, I can't say it used to be the Washington Post because that too was always liberal in their story selection. It certainly has long not been the New York Times. I haven't read the op-ed page of the New York Times in decades, uh, and I barely read the news pages there anymore. Same for me. And I can say, well, my husband still reads them, but that's because he's a glutton for punishment. And that's not an opening to you, Mark. Yes, it is. He married you. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. I don't know why more people are not reviewing this, but it's a fantastic book. Everybody go out, buy it. We'll link to it in our transcript. And thank you for sharing a little time with us. I really appreciate the thoughtful effort to give due to something that is probably one of the most important things in our lives today, how we consume information. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So, Mark, what'd you think? Ari calls it like he sees it and he's right. I mean, look, the other thing that has changed here, Danny, in the news media is the proliferation of conservative news outlets, right? So it used to be, I talked about how in the Reagan years, people complained about Dan Rather and all the rest of it. But the truth was, we all got our news from the same sources. We all got our news from from the Washington Post, the New York Times, our local newspaper, from CBS, Evening News, ABC, uh, with Peter Jennings, NBC News with Tom Brokaw. And those were the main sources. And everybody sat down and watched those things. And we had a common set of information. And we've sometimes complained that they were biased or that we didn't like them. But then what's happened now is that Fox News has broken the mold on that and has created an alternative news network. And then other people have stepped in on the TV side. And then you've also got the internet and all sorts of conservative sites that didn't exist. You've got these plethora of conservative uh, news websites like the Washington Free Beacon and, and the rest of it. People don't feel they have to get their news anymore from the mainstream media or what people call the legacy media. That's a double-edged sword because there's, the good part of it is, is that 
you can get alternative uh, information. And there are news outlets that are covering stories that weren't getting covered before because the media didn't deign to cover them. But at the same time, we're not all getting our news from the same place. And we're living in two countries where some people watch certain news organizations and listen to certain news radio and read certain newspapers. You wouldn't know that there's a crisis on the southern border. You wouldn't know that they had that 12 cities broke homicide records last year and that we have the worst crime wave in America since the 1990s. You wouldn't know a lot of these things. Inflation, you know about because it's affecting everybody. But there's a lot of stories that just don't get covered and that if you're if you're not listening to those alternate sides, then you don't hear about them. But I mean, Mark, yes, of course, you know, we can disagree on the margins. We can agree on the margins. I think for most of us, you know, there are liberal friends feel much the same way that our conservative friends do, which is, gee, I don't really hear a lot of news I want to hear. But I come back to what we talked about at the outset, which is, oh, my God. What is it to live in a country where you don't believe the news? I mean, sure, you know, we understood that growing up. There was Pravda, you know, there's the People's Daily in China. But really, is that who we are? It's it's depressing. And the fact that there's a true lack of a national conversation about this is, I think, illustrative of the kind of divide that we see. It's wrong because... Surely there are actually objective facts out there. Surely there are things that we all agree about. You know, what you said about the border, what you said about crime, what you said about inflation. And yes, I think the news media is talking about this more than they were last year because it's so absolutely overwhelming. But then again, you know, one of two of our last recent podcasts were about electricity and about gas prices. And There's a heat wave that is taking down parts of the United States. And the conversation about global warming is as uninformed as you can imagine. It's advocacy. Yep. Climate has become a religion for the left. And so to the extent that it's a religion for the left, it's going to have that kind of zeal amongst reporters who are left-leaning. So yeah, you don't get a lot of that. The big problem we have also is, is that our country is getting to a place where we don't talk to each other anymore, right? right? You know, like, you know, one of the things I love about the Washington Post opinion page where I, where I write is that I, it has a very left-leaning readership and there's a lot of liberal columnists there, but there are also a lot of real conservative columnists, not just sort of socially acceptable conservative columnists, but like, you know, really conservatives. And there's people who complain about it all the time that they don't want to see me or Hugh Hewitt or Henry Olson or some of these other guys in their in their paper. Um, and the post to their credit keeps us it keeps us there and says it's important. But there are fewer and fewer places where that exists where you actually if you if you go there, you are confronted with ideas you disagree with and information you didn't know about because you don't go to other news sources. And and our country is becoming two Americas. People are physically moving from liberal run areas to conservative run areas. Part of that's economic. But part of that's because they're just sick and tired of people scoffing at them all the time about their views. And people are reading their conservative sources or their liberal sources and not reading the other side. It's like literally living in two countries where we don't understand each other anymore. And that's bad for our politics. You want to understand why our politics is so polarized? It's because our media is so polarized. Right. But it's an opportunity, Mark. It's an opportunity for people to to be able to to do something about this. And yet and yet. 
there are all too few people who are jumping in to try to fix this problem. Again, look, you know, I mean, we're whining, we're complaining, we're bitching, but the reality is it shouldn't be just you and me. It should be a much larger national conversation and it shouldn't be a conversation among the right or the left. It should be a conversation among Americans who are distressed about the fact that they don't receive shared factual information with their neighbors. Period. End of story. Well, not end of story. We're going to keep talking about this and we'll have future podcasts on it because you're right. It's a, it's got to be a conversation that we have, but I'm glad we started the conversation with this one. Same here. And for those of you who are stuck with us, we are about to go into our annual August hiatus. We'll be rerunning some of our- Hiatus? I'm sorry. What do you mean? A hiatus? Hiatus? What is that? No, no. It's funny. A hiatus. I'm sorry. Right. Hiatus. No, say hiatus so I can make fun of you. I prefer it that oh, way. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> Right. We're having a hiatus, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. I'm going to give you a hiatus when I see you. Um, whether you whether you enjoy a hiatus or a hiatus, hiatus whatever. Mark is going to Mark is literally going to have an aneurysm. Okay. We'll, we we are leaving all of this in. Our producer Clara is is falling off her chair laughing. She's turning pinker and pinker and pinker as she tries to stifle herself. So guys, we're not going to be with you for August. We'll run our greatest hits. We'll run our best episodes. And we really look forward to seeing you for a fresh new year and a fresh, hopefully new mark with new jokes and insults in September. We look forward to seeing you after your summer hiatus. Fuck you. (laughs) Goodbye, everyone. Take care. Let us know what topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing us at whatthehell at AEI.org. Or you can reach us on Twitter. I'm at D Pletka. And I'm at Mark Thiessen. That's Mark with a C. Please rate and review the podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, share it, comment on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.